Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 26 of Greens with Envy. We're going to call it Spring Flings. It might also be a volunteer trip. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined as always by my host, friend, and GCI Editor-in-Chief, Guy Cipriano. Guy, how you doing? What's going on? Doing great, Matt. we got a lot to talk about on this podcast, so let's get right to some housekeeping. The April issue is already online. It should be arriving in your mailbox shortly. If you have not seen it online, if you have not seen any of the stories on social media, a wonderful, informative, very useful three-story cover package by our great contributor, Lee Carr, the Environmentally Savvy Guide to Golf Course Maintenance. Other fantastic stories in there as well from Brent Downs of Otter Creek over in Indiana and Guy writing about some courses very near and dear to his heart in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you do not subscribe to our Fast and Firm email newsletter, they go out every Tuesday, a quick recap of all the news from our site from the last week. You can sign up on the homepage, golfcourseindustry.com. If you're listening to Greens with Envy, odds are pretty good you listen to some of our other podcasts as well, Tartan Talks the OG of the Superintendent Radio Network, back next week with episode 58, 59. Guy, I know you're fast approaching five years on that, where Guy talks with members of the ASGCA. Off the course, where I talk with any turf pro about anything other than their job. We've had some great episodes. The last one, Kevin Banks of the Vineyard Golf Club up on Martha's Vineyard, talking about shattering his ankle in a ski accident last year, which... Guy listened to while running on the treadmill. Maybe not the best idea. We I'll, recently I'll just had GCI Tweet Up 21. Matt did a terrific job of hosting it. Uh, if you missed the event, all the audio and video from it can be found probably where you're getting this podcast and also at golfcourseindustry.com under the, uh, under the uh, multimedia superintendent radio tab. Uh, give it a listen. You'll learn a lot about how to effectively use social media. Matt did a wonderful job of hosting that. Aqua Trolls sponsored it for the 10th year. So don't feel bad if you had stuff to do on the golf course that day. That, that content is all there and easy to find. And the 11th annual will be at the Golf Industry Show next year. Finally, so many of you filled out State of the Industry surveys late last year. We have a few more surveys hitting your inboxes soon for specific reports not state of the industry related if you get one of those about what are they about guy in august we will have a poa annua control package in our issue and that survey should be going out in the next two or three weeks in september we will have the turf report on annual bluegrass weevil and white grub control and that will be hitting your inbox probably in six to eight weeks and then in november we'll have a disease management turf report and that will probably be going out maybe in the next three months so we're going to space them out so we're not hitting all of our followers and listeners and readers with too many surveys at once if you get them uh, take the time to fill, fill them out They'll, they won't take you more than five minutes and they'll provide uh, some great data that, that can lead to some better management decisions or at least uh, give you an idea of what you're doing and how it compares to some of your peers in key agronomic topics more completed surveys equals more data points and more data points equals much better, more detailed, more informative packages that might wind up helping you down the road. So if you get one of those, just take five minutes, 
We'll thank you in advance for filling those out. All right, on to Greens with Envy. I have not been to a golf course in a while because I finally almost finished moving across town. It's only 16 miles. It's only 30 minutes. My drive to work is like five minutes longer. But uh, Congratulations to you and your family for finding a house on the other side of Cleveland. And for people that don't understand, there is definitely a significant west side, east side divide in Cleveland, Ohio. I want to topple that wall. And Matt has gone from the west side to the east side. We won't get too much into that that never-ending Cleveland riff. But Matt, just explain what it's like moving in 2021 and just give some best management practices for some of our listeners who may be moving soon too. Well, if any turf pros or anybody else really out there listening is considering a move this year, first off, I, I don't know why right now. We started before the real, real uptick in the market. I will say it is more complicated, but I feel like easier at the end of the day because we were selling a house and buying a house simultaneously. If you have a house to sell, I cannot recommend this highly enough. Apply at your bank for a HELOC. A HELOC, if you don't know this, is a home equity line of credit. Uh, You can, I think our HELOC was about one third of what we paid for our house six years ago. And that basically acts as a, a down payment of sorts. This is a straight advice for my financial friend, Tyson, uh, who I lived next to freshman year of college, and, and he's been my financial guy for a decade. He's wonderful. If you have a financial guy, that's a whole other thing. But apply for a HELOC, and that way there's not the pressure on you to sell your home and buy your home on the same day or in the same week. So we bought a house a month ago, month and a half ago, whatever, and it took a while. We got all the paperwork. We got all the financials in order. We we put down the down payment. We haven't sold our house yet, so we know we're going to sell the house. It's a crazy market. It's a hot market. House goes on the market this Thursday. We expect to have half a dozen offers on Sunday night, but that HELOC just gives you such a sense of calm and not having to juggle as much money uh, in a short period of time. So if I can give you one piece of advice, apply for a home equity line of credit. Those are home buying tips from Matt Lowell. Stuff and, you and, didn't think you'd get on. And the next episode with Greens with Envy, will uh, he'll provide home selling tips. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then we'll get into this old house. I'm, I'm not handy at all, like Bob Vila, or I don't remember who succeeded Bob Vila on that show. All right, enough about homes. Let's get into golf. That's why most of you are here, I think. And let's hit I-80, heading east. You were on the road for the better part of a week. Most of it was pleasure, but some of it was work. Do you want to talk about some of these courses you went to? Wonderful names, Plainfield Country Club, which has so much history, but also Frosty Valley, which is a great name, and I feel like you need a like a, a soft, retro-style old logo t-shirt from there well there are actually two golf courses in pennsylvania called frosty valley i grew up by one of them it's a nine hole course in upper st Clair township pennsylvania which is uh, very close to where i grew up uh played there a lot that's one of the golf courses i learned the game one of the few golf courses i can remember playing or or visiting that starts on a par three but we're going to be talking about the other frosty valley frosty valley Resort used to be called Frosty Valley Country Club. It's an 18-hole golf course in Danville, Pennsylvania, which is northeastern 
central Pennsylvania, depending on who you ask. Some people might say Danville, central Pennsylvania. Some might say it's northeastern Pennsylvania. My first job out of college was in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Little League World Series mm -hmm. and home of one of the great high school nicknames, the Millionaires. And Williamsport's about <laughs> 45 minutes from Danville. So this was sort of a uh, homecoming for me, driving Interstate 80. I, I went through, I didn't get a chance to stop, but you drive through Center County, Pennsylvania, which is where State College is, which is where I spent seven years of my career and the first three and a half I spent in Williamsport. But you know, instead of flying to Plainfield Country Club for this assignment, which we'll get into a little bit later, I just thought it would be easier to drive. Uh, it, it, it was a wonderful drive. It was in late March, uh, early April. Great, great weather. And to break the drive up to northern New Jersey, I, I stopped at Frosty Valley Resort, our friend Tyler Bloom recently moved to Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Well, heck, he's been there for a year now, which borders Danville. And they renamed the town. And after Tyler him. reached out to me and said, "Why, why don't you, you you visit Frosty Valley Resort? Uh, the the relatively new ownership there has made some investments into the property. Uh, the superintendent there is on his second stint. Uh, Tom Height, who we're going to be talking about here soon, just a, a, a tremendous story, a tremendous person." And yeah, so we get into Danville and uh, pull into Frosty Valley Resort, go drive up on a, a nice hill. It's beautiful rolling uh, Pennsylvania farmland in, in this awesome small small town. And uh, Frosty Valley actually has some historical undertones in the industry. The, the golf course is 60 years old. It's a William Gordon designed, opened in 1961, obviously, if it's 60 years old. William Gordon, for those who maybe have heard the name and are not quite sure where they've heard it, he is well known for doing the, the golf courses at, at Saucon Valley Country Club in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, which which is one of the great 54-hole facilities in the United States. And also for our, our industry, Frosty Valley is really important because, you know what, legendary superintendent started his career there? What legendary superintendent, Frosty Valley, Pennsylvania, it's not Deacon Palmer. No, you could make the uh, argument he is the biggest living name in our industry. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot, and I should know this. No, you shouldn't. But Well, you should know the name, but you, should. you shouldn't necessarily know where he started his career. This is deep in the weeds industry trivia okay. stuff. But that's where Paul R. Latshaw really? started his career. That's where he had his first I golf course maintenance yeah. job. at. Fro huh. It was Frosty Valley Country Club at the time, and that's that's where one of the legendary – if not the most legendary right. turf maintenance career started there in in the small Pennsylvania town. So is is he from Pennsylvania? Yes, he's he's from that part of Pennsylvania. I did not know that. Huh. Okay. And, and he, he you know worked all over the country, but yeah, he's a he's a small town uh, Pennsylvania native, and it was just so cool being back into one of those small Pennsylvania towns. Matt, you know from covering high school sports in your mm -hmm. early part of your career. You, you get to travel to a lot of these small towns covering high school and college sports. And they're really charming places with great people. And the, the more you go to them, the more you become attached to them and you kind of find your favorite main street restaurants and maybe mm -hmm. a bookstore or a coffee shop you like. And if you cover enough events there, you get to know some of the people. And uh, I, I never, when I was living in that part of Pennsylvania, I, I, I never had a chance to play frosty, Frosty Valley, that Frosty Valley. I played the one in Western Pennsylvania, played a lot, the nine, the nine hole, hole one. Yeah. But so it's a course that I had known about really 
for 19 years and just had never had a chance to, to get to it. And Tyler reached out to me you know, when I told him that I was going to be driving in New Jersey and he said, Hey, Hey, why don't you stop by and uh, check out the course? So had lunch with uh, Tyler and Tom height, the superintendent, and then uh, spent just a wonderful, it's only going to be a few hours. It ended up being about four hours, uh, walking around the golf course with Tom height. Okay. And it was pretty cool. His, uh, his children get, dropped off by the 13th hole that's where the bus stop is every single day he picks that's them awesome. up he picks them up in his utility vehicle which is a four-seater pretty pretty sweet utility vehicle he has there and then he brings <laughs> up to the golf course and they spend time on the golf course almost every every afternoon so the children yeah. met us and it was just so fun walking around the this hilly pennsylvania william gordon design golf course with the superintendent that just got a second chance to to go back there and has just done a terrific job the the golf course was in ter- terrific uh early spring shape and his children were having a blast and they have children's tees always good yeah uh, just the, it's become a social hub for that community they have a public restaurant there called the iron fork which is a great name uh the high school danville high school is the iron men of course the city has an iron heritage it, it it's really close to the anthracite coal region of pennsylvania so mm-hmm. they're did you know there are two coal regions in Pennsylvania? So in western Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up, you have bituminous coal, which is soft coal. And in northeastern Pennsylvania, you have hard coal. Well, of course, the fans of The Office, and there are many fans of The Office, recognize that there's eastern uh, Pennsylvania coal and anthracite because, if you remember the video that they made about Scranton, Scranton, the electric city, they call it that because of the electricity, and that rap with Michael and Dwight included a rhyme about the Anthracite Museum. You like coal mines, you want to see them, then go on down to the Anthracite Museum. That's where I learned it. I've been to the Anthracite Museum. So you didn't learn about it from the office. when, When I moved to that part of Pennsylvania, I usually had Sundays off and Mondays off. And on Mondays, I would just drive to random Pennsylvania small towns. I didn't know anyone when I moved there and just kind of explored. And I believe the Pennsylvania Anthracite Museum, I'm not sure if it's in Scranton. It might be in one of those uh, small coal towns Mm. bordering Scranton. Jeez. uh, It may be in Schuylkill Haven or somewhere close to that. I'm I'm not sure you're really going to test my uh, knowledge of small Pennsylvania towns but back back to golf it just a wonderful it is in scranton okay it's on bald mountain road okay yeah <laughs> scranton's about 45 minutes from danville which is where frosty valley is and of course you wish you had more time to see some of the other golf courses they have uh their gcsa chapter is called the poconos uh, right gcsa and I, I wish i had a chance to visit some other members but no had a great time with with tom who uh you know, he's fourth fourth year into his second stint there. Has a great owner, uh, Dan Klingerman's investing in a lot of properties and different businesses in that part of Pennsylvania. He also owns Clinton Country Club in Millhall, Pennsylvania, which is a golf course I played a lot out of college yeah. because my uh, first boss was a, a member there in Clinton Country Club. The other course owned by Dan Klingerman, who owns Frosty Valley Resort, is the only golf course I've been to that that has a par three as the ninth hole. In the 18th hole, that, that's some unique trivia there. But that, that's a nice way to finish a nine or, or a round. You know, just a little, not going to beat you over the head. Maybe you hit a a par. Maybe you hit a, a, a four bogey. But you know, just just an easy way to finish the round. I, I like that. I'm sure not everybody would. Yeah, and we can get in a whole 
We've already talked about a golf course that starts on a par three. One famous one that ends on a par three that immediately comes to mind is the old white at the Greenbrier has a Mm. great par three right under the the clubhouse with the thumbprint green. But anyway, Frosty Valley, small town. Uh, For the most part, it's a private golf course. They have opened themselves up to public play on Thursdays and Sundays, and the restaurant's open for public. So they built a wedding barn, which is really cool. It fits the rural Pennsylvania theme and the, the restaurant has a has a, a patio and you know tom's in charge of the, the whole gra- grounds there they're building cottages outside the barn to attract overnight weddings because people from new york city metro area and parts of new jersey are finding that it's cheaper to take your whole entire wedding to central pennsylvania than do one close to home even with <laughs> overnight cost and right. they're marketing themselves hard and they're going to get business that way once events come up and it was just tom is in his early 40s he's around my age and just seems so he grew up in berwick pennsylvania which is you know 20 minutes from danville and he just this is a a person who's just found a job that's a a great fit uh, a place that has a family atmosphere that small town atmosphere where everybody knows everybody uh cool routing on the golf course uh the, the greens are are got these slopes that you can tell that are close to what William Gordon probably intended in 1961 when the golf course opened a lot of holes that play to the the left. Uh, One thing that I didn't realize, and I'd been to, I've been to a lot of golf courses, obviously a couple hundred. I need to count one day is Tom brought up a great point that they're their Three of their par fives are on the the border part of the property. And I'm going to have to study more golf courses to see if that's the case. If your property is along a fairly busy road if that's just a place where golf course architects, especially during the era where William Gordon worked, who yeah. William Gordon was an associate of William Flynn. That's where he got his start. And William Flynn, of course, is one of the, the great golden age architects who did primarily most of his work on the East, East Coast. Is if that, That's really a thing in a lot of golf courses, that par fives are along the exterior of the property, and it makes sense hmm. for a lot of reasons if you think about it. But anyway... Uh, real, real quick, if folks are listening, if you are the superintendent, director of grounds, or golf course maintenance, or, or anything, if your club has a par five on a busy road, let us know. It'll obviously be anecdotal evidence. It won't be anything uh, scientific. But if your course has a busy road on one of its borders, or two of its borders, or more, uh, and, and you have a par five there and you're listening, just let us know. I'm curious. I'm curious now. A few other things that stuck out about Frosty Valley yeah. was along the 10th holes, the maintenance facility. And when you open up the, the garage door, the main drawer, there's a banner hanging. It was thanking the maintenance team for its efforts for putting the 2020 Invitational Tournament together. Mm-hmm. A local state farm agency produced the banner, and it was signed by every person that played in the, in the Invitational. I thought that was That's just cool. an amazing sign of gr- gratitude. And whenever that, that maintenance facility garage doors open, golfers going down the 10th hole can look in and see that big bo- banner that was signed by everyone. And just, a, just an amazing course visit. Uh, somebody that, you know, Tom, who's done a terrific job, uh, has found a place that's a, a great fit, a place with an owner who's investing into the property. And just one of those stops that I'm really glad that Tyler recommended that I make. Any other impressions, anything else you want to mention before we move on to the next segment of your format? Well, Tom has worked at some big name clubs throughout the course of his career, including one in Georgia that everyone's familiar with. And he did that Hmm. early in his career. And it's not necessarily about finding the, the biggest job in this industry. It's finding the one that that fits your lifestyle and what you want for, for 
your family most importantly. And Thomas found that at Frosty Valley. And it was just such a awesome visit to see someone like that. The course conditions were awesome. He's not working with a, a huge crew. He only has a handful of people that work year round and the club means a lot to the, the, the small town. It is a social hub and it's even become more of a social hub now that the restaurant's open to the public and the golf course is open to the public two days a week. And I suspect that that, that, that club has a very bright future because of uh, the owner, Dan Klingerman, and the investments he's made in the property and because they have a awesome superintendent like Tom. Well, if you're in the area, uh, go check that out at, uh, at Frosty Valley. You had another stop on that trip, and you mentioned it earlier, and this was the primary driver of this trip, and that was Plainfield Country Club. In your notes, history, history, more history, and a splendid blend of design and maintenance. I probably should have used more adjectives because Plainfield is a... You are a fan, and I mentioned this yesterday when you made up the format, you are a fan of the adjectives splendid and pleasing. And there's nothing wrong with those, but you do use those a lot. Well, you could use any superlative to describe Plainfield Country Club, yeah. and it would fit. So yeah. that was the impetus for this drive across Interstate 80 was to go to Plainfield Country Club. Uh, we debuted a series last year sponsored by Toro called Enduring Greatness, and the first profile in that series was about Pasatiempo Golf Club in Santa Cruz, California. And the whole point of the series is to describe how Golden Age golf courses have modernize itself through savvy maintenance practices and innovative superintendents. And of course, because it's sponsored by Toro, there's an assist from Toro in helping these courses maintain the, the, the awesomeness that, that they are. So I was super excited to go to Plainfield. I mean, like probably most people listening to this podcast, I'm a huge Donald Ross fan. And mm-hmm. anytime you have a chance to write about a Donald Ross golf course, it's special. And I also started doing some research and realized that Plainfield Country Club is a pretty darn historic place and we're not even talking golf history we'll get into that in a second but the battle of short hills during the revolutionary Hmm. war some of that battle was fought on land that is now plainfield country club and also uh travis Pauley is the superintendent there and we'll get into you know his great career here in a, a few minutes as we discuss plainfield more is the driving range has a view of a hill not sure how many miles away it is but travis goes hey see that hill over there and it was early in the morning and I'm still a little bit foggy, but I'm like, yeah, that, that's a cool looking hill, especially, you know, I can't imagine what it looks like in the fall when the trees are really uh, peak foliage. He goes, well, that's one of the uh, places where George Washington did his scouting to see, you know, <laughs> where, where the British troops were going during the Revolutionary War. So that really hits you. And then you go to this little lawn that's maintained a, a close to green height around the clubhouse, and there's a restored cannon interviewing uh honoring the the battle of short hills just really cool look it fits the the clubhouse is painted white and the 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 cannons painted white and you just know that you're a place where you're stepping back in time then you curl around the pro shop you go to the first tee and what do you see a plaque uh honoring donald ross who completed the course in 1921 so this is the 100th anniversary of the completed ross course at plainfield country club and also on the pro shop siding there's a plaque honoring Leighton Hawkins, who devised the USGA handicap system. So you have a lot of uh, golf history and American history colliding at Plainfield Country Club. And even in recent times, uh, Plainfield hosted the 1978 U.S. Amateur, won by John Cook, the 1987 U.S. Women's Open, won by, she's now Dame, Laura Davies. <laughs> the And then 
even more recent, uh, 2011 Barclays PGA Tour playoff event, Dustin Johnson won it, and the 2015 Barclays Jason Day won it. So there's also been some really high-level golf there. And the two things that – well, there are more than two things that stick out with Plainfield Country Club. It's just this beautiful – golf course that Ross laid out on, on a ridge line and just, just ideal land, very few flat parts of the golf course until you get to a corner of the property, which are holes 13, 14, and 15 that, that they call the, the tunnel. They were designed in the 1930s, so they were a bit of a later part of the golf course. There's mm-hmm. also a Plainfield West operated by the club on the other side of the road. That's a semi-private golf course. Tom Bendelow's original routing, some of that's still over there. In fact, the first tee of Plainfield is housed at Plainfield West. So the club operates a first tee chapter, which is really cool, you know, to see a high-level elite club like that give give back to the, the game by operating a first tee chapter on some of its land. But just an awesome property. There's some crazy greens on there. The, the par 3, 6, and 11th hole have two of the more wild greens that you're ever going to see. I guess that's probably a tame way to put it. I don't even know how to describe them. I wish I was like a Bradley Klein where I could just describe <laughs> greens un- undulations. I'm getting better and better at that, but I'm not quite at the level that he's at. And Who is? Yeah, and Travis Polly, the superintendent, is a tremendous story. He's been there for 15 years now. He's around my age. He's in his early 40s. He was uh, hired as a young assistant. Uh, he was a young assistant at nearby Ridgewood Country Club, which is a 27-hole A.W. Tillinghast design. So Plainfield Country Club just has a tremendous record of picking the right superintendents and sticking with them for a long time. Travis is just the third superintendent in 70 years. Wow. So Red Wender, who's a legend in many ways, uh, uh, asks somebody— Colorful character, not only because of his name. Ask somebody who's been in this industry for a long time, and especially in the New York metropolitan area— about Red Wender, and you'll, you'll get some stories. I, I don't think we can tell them all on the air here. I looked him up when you mentioned him, was it last week or, or two weeks ago, and I, I'll leave uh, I'll leave the answers to what he did and, and some of the stories that he told to uh, you and, and, and your Google machine, if you're listening. He was beloved at Plainfield Country yeah. Club, though. In fact, in the Doorknock Grill, which is in the clubhouse, they have a plaque honoring Red Wender. And, yeah, he had a 50-year... Uh, stint at Plainfield Country Club, and then replaced by Greg James, who did a terrific job. Greg is now at Liberty National, and then Travis mm-hmm. comes along 15 years ago, and that's pretty amazing. That's a sign of a great club to me when you only have three golf course superintendents in 70 years. And the well, two, th- oh. you, you have that continuity, you have that uh, really institutional knowledge where you're not hitting the reset button every five or ten years, and so you can get comfortable and you can grow into a job, and and it's tough. To, to find someone when they're young and, and have them stick with you for so long. But when you can find that person, uh, you're right. It does make a tremendous difference in the long-term, big-picture forecast for a club. And, and Travis has done a terrific job of carrying on what Red and, and Greg did. And you know, the two things that really stick out with Plainfield, and this is the case with most successful clubs. If you're trying to build a template for a successful club, I would keep these two things in mind continuity which mm-hmm. Plainfield has mm-hmm. in such a key position like the superintendent position and I'm sure when you look at some of the committees and club leadership and some of the members that have been there I'm sure there's similar continuity if there's that type of continuity with the employees there's usually that type of continuity with the memberships and the people making the the decisions 
for the club on a short and long-term basis and also a defined identity. Plainfield knows what it wants to be. The golf course is the most important thing. Preserving the Donald Ross elements of the golf course is the most important thing to the club. Uh, Gil Hans has been involved in a master plan there for more than 20 years. Uh, before Gil Hans really became the Gil Hans that everybody talks about in the industry, he was working with clubs like Plainfield, developing master plans. And Plainfield has uh, been uh, – the, the clubs like Plainfield and Allegheny Country Club in Pennsylvania and Country Club of Rochester that gave Gil Hans an opportunity to develop master plans before he became the Gil Hans that everybody talks about now. That's the reason why Gil Hans developed a great reputation, and now he seemingly is getting every other big course assignment. So uh, Gil, I'm sure, owes clubs like Plainfield and Allegheny and Country Club of Rochester and uh, other ones of, of that type of magnitude, a, a lot of credit for helping launch his career. And the club has really committed to making as many Donald Ross elements of the golf course in play while also understanding that, that things are a little bit different than 1921 greens are running a little bit faster playing, mm-hmm. playing demands are obviously a lot. There, there are a lot more demands on the turf now than there were then because of mowing heights and, and quality of cut and mowing patterns and aesthetics. And, you know, Travis has just done a tremendous job of buying into what the club wants to be. And you know, if, if this keeps going, he, he he's going to be able to be there as long as he wants to, to be there and extremely knowledgeable on everything about playing field. Some of the sketches he has in, in his office are really things that could be in a, a golf museum. And, you know, he's bought into the master plan. He's bought into what the membership has wanted. His employees have bought into that. I mean, his, I, I wrote this in the story, which is going to appear in our, our May issue, the Enduring Greatness story. Uh, Travis is assistant, no, lead assistant was his first intern there. Or one of his first interns there. That's cool. He's so he's lead assistant. He's more than qualified to, to be a head superintendent right now, just looking for the right job. Uh, and also the equipment manager has been there for almost as long as tra- or for over a decade. So those are three, you know, your superintendent, mm-hmm. lead assistant superintendent and equipment manager, when they've all been around a decade or more, you're going to have a maintenance department that that is rolling. So Again, it, it's just that institutional knowledge. You know, you can yep. you can come in. You don't need to explain something to somebody new every every few years. Uh I keep saying it. It makes a difference. And and to have that many people, uh, that, that's why. I mean, that's one of the reasons why uh, they have the position that they're in right now. Yeah, so we can't say this enough. Continuity and mm-hmm. defined identity. And it's probably just not a, a golf or country club thing. It applies to nearly every successful business or organization. If you have those two things, mm-hmm. odds are you're going to become a, a destination destination of choice for customers and also a destination for employees. Mm -hmm. You made one more golf course visit in, in the last few weeks and and you're wearing something from that golf course. You visited Hillbilly golf course in, in where in Tennessee? Gatlinburg. Oh, in Gatlinburg, which of course uh, as we discussed yesterday, I didn't know it was in Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg, famous for many reasons, but it is mentioned by name in the Shel Silverstein poem and Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. It was Gatlinburg in mid-July. I just hit town. My throat was dry. thought I'd stop and have myself a brew. So you are wearing— Well, Gatlinburg's probably more known for being the gateway to the Smoky, Great Smoky Mountain National Park than even a Johnny Cash— 
Cash song, Matt. Well, if you're into national parks and not Johnny Cash, maybe. Hmm. So anyway, you are wearing not a T-shirt, not a cap, not a polo. I do have a golf shirt on. I'm not shirtless. Well, but but from Hillbilly Golf Course, you are wearing a highlighter orange sticker that's probably, it's probably almost as big as a softball around. On the left side of your polo shirt, it says, this is this is big news. And this is one of two pieces of big news to come out of this trip to Tennessee and the Smoky Mountains. You got a hole-in-one guy. Now, that the trick here is that Hillbilly Golf Course is a par 41 miniature golf course. But still, that's awesome. I should say I got three hole-in-ones, Matt. Did you? Yes, I made three hole in ones at Hillbilly Golf, and also I guess I didn't look at your scorecard closely. Enough. My I saw fiance the one. got a sticker of a different type. She got a sticker that said, "I got my butt whooped at Hillbilly <laughs> Golf." So this was the first time I had been on a air quotes here golf course with my fiance. She, do you do you like how he slides this right in? We've like gotten the, her to Top Golf, but we've never got her on a golf course. The first, Hillbilly Golf. Yeah, but every time you've talked about L Dog in the past, she was your girlfriend. Here I am saying there's two big pieces of news coming out of your Tennessee trip to the Smoky Mountains. The first is the holes in one, and you just buried in. You're like, when I was my fiance, my fiance got a sticker and says, "You're you are engaged, guy. Congratulations." Well, thank you, and. I think the next step in this relationship is trying to convert her into a golfer. Like I said, we've there's a top golf here near our office. That's before and, planning the wedding. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. She's been there a few times. She had fun, and after a long day of hiking in Great Smoky Mountain National Park, we were looking for something to do easier on our legs. And there are a ton of miniature golf courses there, especially if you include Pigeon Forge. Uh, there are at least a, a half dozen to a dozen miniature golf golf courses. But Hillbilly Golf was our destination. It's a 36 hole facility. You take a 300-foot incline to get up there, which is really cool. Uh, there's a course on the right, course on the left. They played down a mountain, and the holes are hillbilly-themed. You putt through <laughs> tractors and old bathtubs and blacksmith shops and moonshine barrels. No stereotypes whatsoever. It, uh, there was a log that says, watch your head. But Y-E-R. Yes. yes. And we had a lovely time. Uh, the only thing missing was some banjo music playing through the trees. But uh, what a cool course. It's been there for 50 years, so family-owned. So there's also continuity and defined identity at Hillbilly Golf in Gatlinburg, ten- Tennessee, to last that, type along. The last that type along in such a tourist-heavy town. Uh, yeah. Shows tremendous ownership. There was the Gatlinburg Fire destroyed the course in 2016, but they, hmm. they rebuilt uh, it's a really popular attraction. We we played it right before the crowd got there that evening and had a blast. And the fiance was laughing and having a good time and holding some putts. So I'm hoping that you know we somewhere between hitting full shots at Top Golf and getting a chance to putt around some obstacles at Hillbilly Golf, we're starting to, to, to spark that interest. I know she's not going to hear this podcast. I, I I guarantee you she will not listen to this podcast. She has no idea we're right. talking about this and. Uh, even the fact that she got her butt whooped, W H U P P only She only shot what, fifty two? Whatever. She, she's only like eleven over par. That's not terrible. No, she 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 did some grinding out there and yeah. and prevented too many high numbers just because of her, her fortitude and the way she attacked the golf course, Matt. But we we had a blast. Uh we didn't hit our head off that tree. Uh we had some laughs, uh very 
it's funny because you'd think it would be tack, tacky, something called hillbilly golf with that theme, but it's actually very tastefully done within the identity they want to be. So if you go to Gatlinburg and you want to do something with the family or that someone special or even with your buddies at night or you just aren't the hiker or parky type, go play hillbilly golf. It's it, it the the uh, the scorecard says play America's most unusual miniature golf course. And heck, I've probably played, I don't know, 75 to 100 miniature golf courses. Mm-hmm. And we'll play some when we get to Myrtle Beach mm-hmm. in November. And this is the most unique miniature golf course I've ever, ever been to. So you clearly didn't play this before the fire of 2016. Does the card say, or was there any information on the course, on the facility, who designed, who redesigned the course after the fire? No, but they do have signs on the course acknowledging the fact that there was a fire and that people worked their behinds off to rebuild the golf course and, and get the beloved uh, facility going again. But my guess is that it wasn't designed by Donald Ross or William Gordon. No, I wonder, I, I can't imagine that there is. There is, of course, the ASGCA. I wonder if there is the ASMGCA, the American Society of Miniature Golf Course architects there's probably not there should be no and while we're on the topic of miniature golf i'll flip over to putting courses and we're starting to see more Mm -hmm. more of these uh open up at golf facilities across the country especially on the resort level i know pebble beach just recently reopened or opened their their putting course we played the thistle do at pinehurst which mm-hmm. was tougher than the cradle i think it took us more oh, shots to God. play thistle do than there was, the cradle there was a hole we didn't finish i remember that because the 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 incline the the steepness going up to the hole was was absurd everybody was quitting on it that morning and the, the prove that this podcast before we end has come full circle the thistle do at pinehurst was designed by gil hans who did the master <laughs> plan at plainfield country club everything is somehow connected in golf, but no, Gatlinburg's a cool place. We spent most of our time hiking in Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It's America's most visited national park. I believe it had over 12.5 million visitors last year. So and this actually down a little bit because of the pandemic. I have this up. I had this ready to well, go. Well, it was closed last year at yeah, this time. 12, 12.1 million last year. And to put that into perspective, the rest of the top five, 12.1 million visitors last year at the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Number two, 12.1. Number two was Yellowstone at 3.8. Zion National Park at 3.6. Rocky Mountain National Park, 3.3. Grand Teton, 3.3. So more visitors at the Great Smoky Mountains National Park than any other three national parks combined. And there are a lot of reasons. It's centrally located. 80% of the country is within... A right. day's drive of the Great Smoky right. National Park. It's 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 a it's an easy, fun outdoor vacation site, and and that was great even before the pandemic, going outdoors to places. So we're running low on time here, Matt. Uh, yeah, if you if you got some vacation time this year, get outdoors, go to places like Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Uh, you won't regret it. It was a great week down there. Certainly a memorable week in my life. Uh, but it's great to be back here and. I'm ready to get a real golf club in my hand, and <laughs> I'd rather hit over bunkers and mounds and water hazards than moonshine barrels. 
Well, Guy, again, congratulations on popping the question. I'm glad you were able to find enough isolated space in America's most visited national park. Yeah, we didn't get engaged at Hillbilly Golf, in case people are wondering that. That would have been fun. And congrats on your house. Thank you. And again, a reminder, uh, anybody listening, if you are on a busy road and you have a par 5 next to that busy road, we're curious. Just anecdotal evidence. Let us know. If you know of any other courses that are situated on all or part of a historic war battlefield, like Plainfield is, let us know that. I can't imagine there are a whole lot. And if you know any miniature golf course architects, let us know that too. Maybe we'll get the ASM GCA going in 2021 or 22. We got some projects, guy. We got some cool stuff. There's never a dull moment here. No. He's Guy Cipriano. I'm Matt Lowell. You'll hear the full credits for Golf Course Industry in a couple weeks on the next episode of Off the Course. Until then, thanks so much for listening to the Superintendent Radio Network and Greens with Envy.